Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattleigen Broadcasting premiere podcast. Damn you, Hollywood. And here's your host, Robert Winfrey. How you doing? Yay! Hello, everyone. This is Damn You, Hollywood, chronicling the downfall of modern cinema one week at a time. <laughs> Which is the official new subheading for this particular show, given what we're going to be talking about tomorrow, and God help us all. Put it on a t-shirt, Mindy. Uh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound quite as catchy, but it's a fruity enough title. I figure it could at least pass for a, <laughs> an art, uh, you know, uh, art house theater. Uh, tonight we are talking about The Many Saints of Newark, and this is a video podcast now, Mark. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us on this particular episode, he was featured on a two-parter of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy that just got re-aired. Uh, he is currently host uh, part of the Four Kings retrospective going on here, as well as an ongoing guest on the Mania of WrestleMania. From the East Coast, the closest to it, uh, I can't even say the closest to Italian, but the closest to organized crime out of any of the three of us, we have Pat Mullen. <laughs> Cheers to that, boys. Because Mark, Mark's part Italian, right? I am definitely part Italian. Yeah. Sicilian, as a matter of fact. You forgot like the most important, most relative thing. Pat was on your Everyone Loves a Bad Guy on The Sopranos. I said that. No, you said James Bond. Oh, that too. Yeah, he's on. he is on the most recent. Yeah, because we re-aired both of, both of those are re-airing right now as we speak. So there's the first two parts for James Bond. Uh, and then, yeah, the two the Sopranos, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy that Pat was kind enough to come and talk with me on several years ago. Yeah, Pat, you were a huge fan of The Sopranos. I listened to that. That might have actually been the first time I've ever listened to it. Um, I don't Thanks for that. I was going to say, didn't you host this? <laughs> were you responsible for that show in the first place? It was on there, your network. You didn't even listen. There was a lot of stuff that went on during those years. And I was like, look, just don't get me in trouble with the FBI. And I do not care what happens. Well, so. about that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Pat, you're a huge fan of The Sopranos. So were you excited about this Many Saints in Newark movie? I really was. On my HBO, like, pantheon of HBO original show programming mm -hmm. on my Rushmore, Sopranos is the first head on there. I was a huge fan of the show. Kind of kind of grew up watching it, basically. Like, I think it, I think when it premiered, I was in the sixth or seventh grade. Okay. But uh, that was, like, a regular Sunday thing that we all knew. Even, even like, the Sundays where there was a wrestling pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. Like, my friends at school, like, most of us would watch the wrestling pay-per-view. And then on Tuesday, when we got the re-air of Sopranos, we would all start talking about the Sopranos afterward because we watched it. Our parents watched it. It was like everybody watched the Sopranos up until a certain point. And then kind of the real hardcore fans stuck around, but that was still most of the people I knew. And it was just a great show from start to finish that imagine just getting to watch Goodfellas like in multiple parts through the years. You would have loved mm -hmm. it. It would have been great, you know, instead of getting a condensed two-hour version. That's what we got with The Sopranos, with lots of original characters and great writing and some of the great TV performances of all time, particularly by the late James Gandolfini. 
It's on my list. It's it's something I eventually have to watch. I've never I never watched it. I wasn't really interested in it when the show premiered. Oh, so you got a couple things spoiled in this, did you? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I I have some things to say because like I'm glad that we have like a Soprano super fan on because yes, Lily. Are you did you want to talk about the Sopranos? Do you, do you want to sing Soprano? Why are you bothering me? Okay, go to bed. Love you. Anyway, um, I'm sure your daughter would just be so empowered by all the scenes in Bada Bing. <laughs> Which, since you haven't seen the show, hey, their body, is, their choice. It that's, is the it is the topless bar run by the uh, that is one of the fronts for the mafia group. The, that may twenty dollars. A... It's their body, your choice. <laughs> that may have been a fictional bar in this fictional world, but I will tell you, there are real Bada Bings out there. I have I no have, doubt. I may have been to one or two of them in my time. Certainly are. Also have no doubt about that. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad we have a Soprano super fan on because you're going to get two very distinctive uh, perspectives on this movie. There's me who kind of just watched it as a mob movie with no real um, under, you know, I, I've never watched Sopranos. I know basically what the premise is. I heard you guys' podcast on it, but I, you know, I don't I don't know a lot of the details. So a lot of the, what happens in the movie is utterly meaningless to me. And then there's you who I am dying to hear how if this movie resonated with you or not. So. Robert, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Well, we start this particular movie with a slow walk through a graveyard where a bunch of dead characters from the original show share thoughts with us, leading to our primary omniscient narrator, the character of Christopher Moltisanti, played by uh, Michael Imperioli, who takes us back in time to, oh, I'll find the year specifically, 1967, where a very young Tony Soprano... Uh, Travel is going along with one of his uncles, uh, Dickie Moltisanti, who I don't think is he's referenced a bit in the uh, show, but I don't recall him being a big figure. Some of the other characters we meet here obviously are. Uh, they're meeting uh, uh, Dickie's father, played by Ray Liotta, who plays another character in this particular movie as well. And uh, so originally this was what Ho they call him Hollywood Dick. <laughs> which I got a kick out of. So this version of Ray Liotta has brought back a future Mrs. X Moltisanti from his trip to Italy. Uh, whose name is uh, Giuseppina. I'm going to miss, I'm going to butcher a bunch of these names. I apologize. I am. That wasn't bad. Giuseppina was pretty good, Rob. Oh, thank you. Uh, these guys are all mobbed up and we also meet some of the other characters. Uh, Johnny Soprano played by John Bernthal by a different character in some of the flashbacks we had in the show, but John Bernthal's an improvement in most cases. So Bernthal is here. We meet uh, Tony's uncle Junior, played by Corey Stoll, uh, Silvio Dante, Polly Walnuts, uh, the a, a much younger and slightly thinner uh, Pussy Bon uh, Bon Spicerno. I'm that I screwed up. I know that. Bompincero. Bompincero. Thank you. And his older father Buddha. Joey Coco Diaz. <laughs> yes, the great Joey Diaz plays him. Uh, we follow a bunch of characters throughout this. This show, this follows a bit the same kind of uh, ethos of the show in that it is very much a... It's more of an ensemble piece. It's about a period in time rather than uh, just strictly following the one character. These are all influences that will play into Tony Soprano's life. Uh, we... The first big thing that happens is there's a bunch of riots break that break out in Newark. This is based on, I believe, a real event that took place in this same year. 
Uh, around the same time, Johnny and a few of the other guys are arrested. This was famously in a flashback in one of the uh, one of the season one episodes, if memory serves. When we saw young uh, Tony Soprano see his father and his uncle and a few other people arrested at a carnival. Uh, here, instead of sticking more with Tony, we follow Dickie, uh, uh, Dick a bit more. And some of his problems, uh, Johnny's sentenced to four years in prison. Ray Liotta knocks his, uh, what do they call him here, a guma? Uh, guma. Well, she, she, I mean, she's his wife at this point. She's Liotta's Oh, yeah, wife. they got married. They got married. Yeah. He knocks her down a flight of stairs, and Dickie, who's become a little bit infatuated with her, confronts his father Winds up beating him to death by slamming him into the wheel of his the steering column of his car. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say it's a bit of a strong. It's, it's a little stronger than confronts. Well, he originally <laughs> just confronts and then it escalates. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, when you tell your son that I only marry sluts, what do I know? You're kind of asking for a problem from your adult son. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, so he kills his father. Winds up uh, putting his now body she's in. A Gumar. Yeah, she becomes his guma. That was it. Uh, they So he takes the body, dumps it in a front that they own, and then burns it and blames it on the riots because, you know, riots. Uh, the other character, we and one of the other characters we kind of follow through here is one of uh, Dickie's subordinates, a black gentleman by the name of Harold, who becomes uh, more involved later. He, get, he winds up leaving, heading down to North Carolina after he kills someone, uh, largely on Dickie's orders. And he heads out, he comes back, he starts a rival crime syndicate in a bit, and then he and uh, that leads to a couple of gun shootouts. And I don't think he's a character later on in the show, but my memory of the later episode of the later seasons is fuzzy at the moment. So forgive no, me if I'm back. Okay. Makes him an odd choice to include as a perspective character in this, then, but okay. Even more when we actually talk about the full narrative of the story, but yeah. Uh, so we move forward in time. Johnny gets released from prison. Uh, a lot of the conflict here stems from the uh, the rivalry between the Italian mafia and the black crime syndicate that springs up. There's a bit of Dickie's ongoing problems. He he feels guilty about murdering his father. I mean, I can't imagine why, but he does. So he spends some time with his uncle, also played by Ray Liotta, who's in prison for killing a made man. And gets a little bit of life advice from him, you know, a little bit of guidance. Tries to do some good things in the world to make up for all the terrible crap that he does. We follow some very what this is really is kind of the way for Dickie to have an internal monologue sounding board because they establish Christopher as your narrator at the beginning of the movie, but they drop that like 10 minutes into the movie and don't bring it back until the very end again, really. Yeah, so so they needed, and I'm assuming in their head, they're like, Oh, we need a narrative device for this internal monologue of what he's feeling. So they introduced the the Sally character, um, which is also played by Ray Liotta, as you said, Rob, for for these one on ones in the prison visitation room. But they, it's like, oh, we already have a narrator. We can't have him monologue internally, or people might get confused. Let's have a guy who's already in the movie play another character because that won't confuse them. And then we'll do this. Great. Yeah. So there's the ongoing kind of. We can get into more specifics if we'd like to later. There's a bit of the conflict there. Uh, the backdrop to this is, of course, young Tony Soprano, who at this point is played by James Gandolfini's son, actually, uh, who is kind of riding the edge about, you know, is he going to really fall into the life of crime that we know he's going to because some of us have seen the show? And is he maybe not going to if you haven't seen one of the most popular and influential IPs of the last 20 years? 
<laughs> it was a mystery to me. Uh -huh. What's going to happen? Uh, we also, oh, the other character I forgot to mention. We have uh, Vera Firminga playing Livia Soprano, Tony's father. And this is, I don't want to get too much into this, but that was, I think, about as good a casting choice as you could get, but you're never going to quite touch what took place in those first couple of seasons. Uh, we, we can get to that. Uh, so we get a little bit of, you know, Tony's uh, perspective, a little bit with his mother. He and his mother don't really get along all that well. Surprise, surprise. His mother is a malignant narcissist, I believe is the appropriate term. Uh, we get some moments recreated. Uh, the, the most famous one probably being when Johnny shoots a bullet through Livia's hair. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, which Was that me... actually in the show? Yeah, it's it's in the later they, season. They reference, they reference it, it in a family okay. vacation episode. Okay, got it. Cool. And Tony doesn't like it because it makes him seem dysfunctional. <laughs> yeah, that makes him seem dysfunctional. <laughs> um, people die, you know, as there I want to do. I think the big thing here is uh, they're coming out of a, one of the wakes when Junior Soprano, again played by Corey Stoll in this case, slips coming out. It's raining. He messes up his back. This leads to him being mocked, and if you know Junior from the series, he has a massive inferiority complex. So we get to see some of the genesis of that here. Uh, he winds up ordering the death of Dickie, who is shot outside of his house. Uh, and th the last sequence that we get is at Dickie's funeral, where Tony is sitting here reminiscing uh, about the times that he had with his uncle and just remembering a promise that they made to each other. And this is meant to be the moment when he was irrevocably set along the path towards violence, corruption, mayhem, and all things that follow. So, and there's specifics we can talk about as we want to get into this more in detail, but that's kind of the broad overview, good, bad, and otherwise. So, Pat, why don't you start us off here? Um, what did you, as a Sopranos fan, um, what did you think of the movie? I didn't love it. Okay. I think it has a fair share of flaws and not even just as a Sopranos fan, but just as somebody following the narrative of the story and how it's structured. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of issues uh, with how they put it together. Ultimately there's not a ton, but there are fun callbacks. If you've been a long time fan of the show to the show itself, but it almost seems like they put more effort into a lot of those than they did the actual narrative that they're trying to put together in this movie. Um, you know, and, and probably my biggest drawback of this is that you have this subplot building with the Harold character where they're starting the smack trade in Newark along with the numbers game to rival the Italians and take over the central ward. And we don't get anything from it. We get no resolution. We get no bill. We get yeah. nothing. It, it goes. It's literally a subplot that went nowhere. And that just felt like such a waste and a throwaway. Mm -hmm. Um. I didn't like that the marketing for this was very much this is how Tony Soprano became a gangster. And we really get very little of that. If yeah, that's not this movie. That was no. the most and I don't and I want you to keep going, but that was probably my most frustrating takeaway from watching this because like you can even see in the graphic if you're watching the video, like who made Tony Soprano? Nobody in this fucking movie, not that <laughs> I can see. Not really. Yeah, and, and a lot of the show always talked about how Dickie was Tony's mentor and really kind of brought him up in the way of the gangster. In reality, that's clearly not the case. Is Dickie's dead now, and Tony's not a gangster. He's done little stupid stuff like beat up a Mr. Softy mm -hmm. and hijack the truck for, for a joyride where they gave away free ice cream. It's not really on the level of what he's doing. It, no, if anything, there's one scene. One scene where he's talking about take the hot uh, amplifier, 
and he's like, I don't want to have stolen stuff. I don't, I want to go to college. And he's like, you say it once and then you're done with it. That is literally the entire influence Dickie has on Tony. Yeah. That, that, that's the, the hundred percent, everything with it. I think the people who are doing really great jobs with certain characters, I think Corey Stoll was amazing as junior. I think he yeah. nailed it a hundred percent as somebody who loved the show mm-hmm. and saw his performance reflect Dominic Kianese so much. I thought he was awesome. I definitely think John Bernthal was great in the little bit that they gave him. I needed to give that hardly, man more. He's hardly in the movie. Mm-hmm. And for a guy who's that good in a role that should be, again, much more prominent considering the life of Tony Soprano, which is what this is building to, this really should have been a bigger role. And we didn't get that. We got a lot of wasted time on Harold, who – is just ultimately a scumbag in every possible way because he works for Dickie, resents what he's doing, whatever, but still takes the money. He gets in trouble on a murder rap. Dickie gives him $500, no questions asked. This way you don't owe, you don't owe me. I don't have to look for you. You don't have to be awkward when you see me again. Gives it to him. He goes away. Comes back years later and decides, yeah, I'm going to just encroach on this guy's territory. Oh, and I'm going to bang his girlfriend too. What the hell? And you knew her fate was sealed at that point because it's not just banging another guy. Banging a certain type of other guy that they don't really look fondly upon when you do things with. Especially, you know, in the 1960s. <laughs> yeah, a little bit much of a tan. You know, I'll leave it at that. You guys can do the math. But that's not really looked upon favorably. So, you know, he, uh, he just does everything he can. And then on top of that, tries to kill the guy. Um, right. You know, I think the other part is probably worse than trying to kill him. But that's, who am I? Um <laughs> You know, I think he'd actually respect him more for the trying to kill him than the other thing, but that's just me. Um, one of those, th- one of those things is just business. The other, not so much. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but but again, it, it's very much a story about Dicky that everybody knows what a basic writing narrative, you know, structure is, where you have introduce your character, put your character up a tree. How do you get your character down a tree and then level off? We didn't get any of that with any of the characters in this movie. Period. Right. Um. So from a narrative standpoint, the structure is very poor. Um, we get a complete throwaway subplot. We get a, a protagonist that's never really more than two-dimensional. Um, we, we get nothing really with Tony, to be honest. We get the little very, bit of very little. The, the, the test results in school where you find, oh, he's a, he's a leader. He's highly intelligent. He's just lazy. They play into Livia downplaying him, of course, which is a very constant feature of the first two seasons of the show up until Nancy oh, Marshall's yeah. character's death. Um, but you get so little of the actual mob world. And I have to specifically call out one performance. Don't know the guy's name because I don't want to know it. Whoever was playing younger Silvio Dante, I never want to see you in anything broadcast anywhere ever again. You are the worst actor I have ever seen in any performance ever. You make Reb Brown look like a young Al Pacino. <laughs> You're essentially doing a horrible Stephen Van Zandt imitation the whole way through with the accent, with the walk, with everything. It's just horrible. And I, I went to see this with friends who had you know, watched the show all the way through. And we're all just immediately like, this guy sucks. I <laughs> never want to see this guy again. Good Lord, he is terrible. Younger guy who played the version of Paulie Walnuts, great. Younger, big pussy, understated, fantastic, good. Makes sense. This clown, 
it's like they found a guy who who is an Elvis impersonator, not even in Vegas, in like Tupelo, Mississippi, and thought this is the closest thing we're ever going to get to the king. Let's put him out there. And it was just awful. And in this show, like it's very clear to anybody who knows Stephen Van Zandt that that's a hairpiece. Mm-hmm. But in the show itself, they never made it out that he's wearing a hairpiece. He's actually seen sleeping in bed with it. So now they're kind of doing a little bit of a revisionist history where he's he's clearly losing his hair and has the comb over and everything. And then all of a sudden he has the wig and it's hanging off in scenes. And, you know, potential doesn't pay the bills. And this movie is a lot of unrealized potential. It has its good moments, but not enough for me to really love it, where I give it out of a one to ten a six. Mm-hmm. So my favorite mobster movie, gangster movie, is Casino, which I've talked about on here before. Casino has very defined characters. It has a point of view. It has a story that goes from beginning, middle to end. It is it is very nearly a perfect picture. People, you might not actually like it, and that's not what I'm here to debate. But I'm using it as sort of a framework for if you're going to if you're going to make a mob movie. There, you know, obviously there are some others you can choose, but like Casino is a nice base. And I and I was thinking about that compared to this, where there are some halfway decently defined characters. And again, I'm saying this is somebody who's never seen the show before. So I'm just watching it as a mob movie. And I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about the untouchables and you know, so on and so forth. Um and one, I don't find Dickie to be that interesting of a character, especially once he kills his dad. Like the relations like the relationship with his dad was interesting until he kills him. And that's what the first, what 30 minutes of the movie. And then, yeah. And then he has the, uh, the, the relationship with the uncle, which I thought was going somewhere and then not really. And then you're sold on this movie that this is going to be how Tony Soprano became Tony Soprano, but this isn't his movie. It's Dickie's, which was probably the most frustrating, like bait and switch of all is that you're sold that this is that 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 you're going to see Tony have his like Anakin story. You know, he's going to fall from grace in some way and become this dark figure. Um, by the end of this movie, there's a, maybe a hint of that, but but I don't think Tony and Dickie's relationship is really portrayed to be that strong in this movie. Um, he has a they have a couple of moments together. But this is really about Dickie kind of struggling with his own stuff. And I go back to, well, the guy playing Dickie is a very nice actor, and I think he's doing a a good job with what he's given. I don't think his character's all that interesting. And then you're absolutely right about, like, the heroin thing, Pat, because you're thinking, like, okay, well, this isn't clearly about Tony, and the Dickie stuff's not that interesting either. Well, maybe this will be at least a fun, you know, it'll be like the godfather of Harlem where you have the Italians and the blacks fighting over territory to sell heroin which is a big portion of that show. And that's not in this movie either. So, so we can get, I want to get Robert's perspective on this. We can be a little bit more conversational about it. My biggest frustration with this movie is, as you've already said, it starts off on things, leaves a bunch of threads on the table, doesn't solve, resolve any of them. And then what you do get it, this almost feels like the pilot of a new show that we're never going to see. And it's well, maybe who knows? You say that, but the uh, if memory serves, the uh, oh, what was the guy's name? 
Hang on, I'm going to find it. Uh, well, da uh, David Chase. I yeah. believe David Chase just signed a deal with uh, Warner Brothers or H uh, slash HBO yeah, they, to they, do another, you know, six or so of these. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they talked about doing more movies, but there has I haven't heard any chatter about another show. But that's what I mean. Like, this didn't feel like a movie necessarily. This felt like a long pilot mm -hmm. for a show that yeah. we're not going to see now. Um, so I felt the movie was very incomplete. So, like, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The performances are great. I love Vera Farmiga in this. I think she's outstanding. Uh, love John Bernthal for the little bit that they gave him. Love Ray Liotta in this. Uh, more as the uncle than as the... <laughs> kind of remind me of a few years ago when Ray Liotta put on all that weight and was barely intelligible. There's one shot of him when he's laughing at the head of the table when they're yeah. eating, when Dickie... Mm -hmm. And I'm like, ooh, Ray, who did you make mad that they decided to shoot you <laughs> from this angle? <laughs> yeah, it's not not good. When he when he's playing the brother in the prison, he looks much better, and I actually enjoy his performance as understated as it is. And the guy playing Dickie's great. There's just I, to kind of quote Robert on many occasions, this is kind of a nothing movie. But yeah. um, it's set against last thing, and then I'll go to you, Robert. I promise. It's set against this really great backdrop of the tumultuous 1960s civil rights movement. You know, it's talking about something that is very relevant now, you know, the relationship between the African-American community and the police and does absolutely nothing with it to the point where you're like, why is this even in the movie then? It's a very confused, muddled movie that doesn't seem to know what it wants to be, Robert. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. This is... I agree with you on most of that. There's good, there's good stuff here. Most of the performances are fine. Uh, I think the problem with the guy playing Dickie is how the character was written. Mm. They tried to do, they tried to get him to be this really kind of like early reflective mirror of what Tony Soprano becomes. Okay. And consequently, they struck, they have to structure sequences where he talks with someone that he gets advice from. And in this case, it's his uncle rather than Tony going to therapy. And unfortunately, it's just kind of this big looming shadow that the writing never seems to get out from under is what they're trying to do with this character. So, th so Dickie becomes a Kmart blue light special version of Tony Soprano, the way he's portrayed in the show, rather than anything approximating his own unique, interesting character. I, um, I don't remember what movie we talked about earlier this year, Robert, but I complained about sequelitis, uh, sorry, prequelitis in the sense of, like, I'm getting tired of the prequel where everything has to line up where we left it, where we pick it up in the next thing that we've already seen. And it's very unnatural. It doesn't get there organically. Everything feels forced. And I haven't even seen the show, but I got an overwhelming sense of making sure the pieces are right where we need them to be when The Sopranos picks up. That was Footloose. <laughs> uh, there's a bit of that here. I think the other problem is this... While The Sopranos is a genuinely great television show, the write, the writing in The Sopranos is occasionally uneven. Mm -hmm. Now, this is bolstered and you forgive it because the acting is so damn good. And to be also to be fair to the show, when the writing is on, it's really on. But you have to kind of go with a little bit of the up and downs there. When you take away the strength of those performances, and here we... We don't get anything bad. Well, very little bad. I shouldn't say any, we don't get anything bad. We get so very little bad. Yeah. We don't get anything that is the heights of that show either. And 
when your writing relies on the strength of performance to kind of make up for some of the shortcomings, when that strength of performance falls a little bit short, it becomes all the more noticeable. And that's what we have here. This is also structured very oddly. You mentioned it feels like a pilot. This feels like a season of television that they condensed down to two hours. And mm -hmm. it ultimately, I think, is certainly to the show's detriment. The entire Herald subplot could have been excised from this movie without losing anything. Yeah. You have lost nothing. It, 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 it gives you nothing for Dickie. And that's really ultimately based on the narrative of this movie. You, it seems like it's structured to give depth to him. It's almost as if it's like we needed, it's like we don't want to make Dickie a total bastard. So what if he's nice to black folks? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, between between that and then, okay, well, how do we get the Gumar out of the picture? Well, we drown her in the ocean. <laughs> for for sleeping with Harold. Like this, uh, what does it say about me that that's my favorite scene in the movie? It's a well shot scene. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, just the whole like you know betrayal and you know anger and passion and <laughs> we're having this we're having this great day. We're walking down by the beach. We get to have sex in a public bathroom. I've got, I've bought you this beauty salon. Oh, you cheated on me with a black man who's now trying to kill me, and now I am just overflowing with passion. So I must drown you in the surf out here. And he's not just drowning her. He's because it's the ocean. They're like he's like falling over, and it's you know. Yeah. It's, it made him seem like a real person. It yeah, and and like it I did. said, I don't. The takeaway should not be why does Mark hate women. It's, it really is a well shot scene, a very passionate, organic, authentic feeling scene. And really, who wasn't one? Who hasn't wanted to strangle a woman in the ocean? I'm gonna remain uh, quiet. Um, I have. <laughs> Look, you can chalk this up to my lack of life experience in some respects. I suppose I've never felt compelled to strangle someone in the ocean. I'm you not going to talk about July 10th. It's fine. Robert, um, you've, you've, you've threatened to kill many an actress on this show. I feel like it was my turn to imply murder. Go on. It's fine. I don't judge you for that. <laughs> I judge you for a lot of other stuff. I know. Yeah, I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a hypocrite. Uh, I th yeah, oh, I'm also movie... thirsty, so I'll be right back. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, this, I think the other thing that kind of knocks this movie down, uh, the structure is really the biggest flaw. Like this yeah. movie, it needed to be structured better. It felt like it structure wise, it felt like a, like a lot of knitted together scenes. Yeah. Like with, this, with no connective tissue. The, can I ask you a question from yeah. a, from purely a film student perspective? Yeah, Did go. you feel like this this movie was written more like a TV pilot yeah. than it was like a made for the screen feature? Because that's the that's how it felt to me. This feels like an outline for a season of television, and yeah. then they decided a two hour movie. Right. I feel like they didn't know what master they wanted to serve with yeah. this. Mm -hmm. In terms of knowing, there is a huge established fan base for the show the potential of people who are new to the series and they want to capture them, people who maybe haven't seen the series and they want to subscribe to HBO Max to get it, that they can rope in with this, the traditional mob audience. They really seemed like they were trying to, at varied points, serve this master for this scene, this master and this, and they couldn't make their mind up. And what you get is a jumbled mess that never and then we really goes anywhere. And then we needed, the Herald character felt like a studio note. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the last thing I want to throw out there. Here's the other, I think, kind of big problem here, and I, this is a tough, this is a tough thing to talk about in some respects because I'm going to make a very unfair comparison 
to the Simpsons? No. Okay. Because that's what I was thinking. No, no, no. You have someone playing young Tony Soprano. And I'm sorry, James Gandolfini's kid ain't him. <laughs> and that's not... Cosmetically, maybe. He looks like him. Like it, Yeah. Like that, almost, he has some of the physical mannerisms almost uncannily down. Yeah. And I don't just mean this face structure. Like, the way he carries his head a little bit forward of his shoulders, the slight stoop when he walks. Like, he's got the physical stuff down to be Tony Soprano. But... One, I don't think you could... It would be hard. I can't say you couldn't do it. It would be very difficult to get something like the depth of Tony Soprano as a character in a single two-hour movie. Not impossible, just very, very hard. To try and then shunt that kind of magnetism and that performance onto someone... I don't know how old his kid is. I mean, he's playing someone... 20, who's, 22. So, I mean, he couldn't be more than 25. He's playing someone in high school. Yeah. You're just That's just not going to work. And hang on, you say that. Have you heard the criticisms of Dear Evan Hansen that the no. poor kid they got they the poor kid they got to play the lead is from the I think Broadway every criticism of that's fair, but go on. It's from the Broadway production, and apparently he's in like his late twenties, early thirties. And looks it. And and yeah, and they they're having him play this like mid high school student, and it's like this is one of the many problems with this movie. Can't all be winners like the cast of nine oh two and oh. And even then, Luke Perry had like a catcher's mitt for a face before, not too long before that <laughs> ended. <laughs> I mean, still a good looking guy, but boy, did like he looked as old as he was. Like, mm-hmm. how would you not think he's an undercover cop in high school? <laughs> <laughs> like, what was it like? Hello, not fellow, teen... <laughs> hello fellow children. <laughs> was it like not another teen movie where they had like the old lady and you know playing the um Drew Barrymore? Yeah, making role? fun of Drew Barrymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that was so good. That was great. Yeah. I'm a high school student. Um, the other thing is you do get a lot of you have to do a lot of recasting for some stuff that we've already seen some of it works okay some of it doesn't Uh, the wasting of John Bernthal in this was a very odd choice especially if you've watched enough of the show to know that Tony's father was a much bigger influence on him in a lot of ways than his uncle was so we we really should have followed Johnny a bit more Uh, Vera Farmiga does a perfectly acceptable job she she really just channeled Nancy Marchand yeah. into what she was doing. Uh, Nancy Marchand, who played Livia on this on the series, who oh, was Tony's God. mother. She has my second favorite scene in this movie, and that's the one with the in the uh, in the office of the teacher, the principal. You know, and he's telling the principal is telling her about the memory that that Tony shares with her about him. I I, him. I love that, but I also love at Dickie's funeral. Mm-hmm. When they talk about they found all these pills, which were the ones Tony had asked Dickie to procure for specifically his mother. Mm-hmm. And she goes, Ugh, you think these people are so strong? By the way, Pat, you were, just you never getting, know. were you getting every mother you ever knew in New York and New Jersey vibes during the scene where she's trying to be nice to Tony? And Tony's like, maybe you should go on pills. And she's like, I don't even know why I bother with you. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I swear to God, that's every woman I grew up with on Long Island. Any, any slight suggestion of anything, you are attacking. Right. Why did I even try to make you a nice cheeseburger and, and give you a break from the mortadelle sandwich? Why? Because you're going to just criticize me and do everything? Yep. Oh, my mean, God. What, what are you doing going to therapy despite your profession? Just talk about how terrible your mother is. I wish the Lord would take me already. <laughs> Babies are like animals. 
so I think ultimately I'm with you guys. I land about a six if we were to rank this out of ten. There's a lot of competent stuff here. There's a there's a much better movie lurking somewhere in this that if they'd refined yes. it more, they could have brought out. I'm uh, curious what got left on the cutting room floor that didn't make it into this. If it would have helped, if maybe like I, I, you know, just ball, like if they'd gone a real big route and gone two and a half hours with this and done it Scorsese style, uh, would it have helped the movie? Possibly, maybe we could have got some characters that weren't two dimensional. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could have gotten some plot lines a little more flushed out. Um, but but again, too, I think I think the, the just it, structurally it's a mess. There's yeah. no denying that. I'm wondering if there wasn't a conversation about maybe just making this strictly straight to HBO Max. Like, this didn't feel like a movie that needed to be seen. Like Even from the standpoint of view of, and somebody pointed this out to me on Twitter, you only need it to debut in one theater anywhere on Earth for it to be competitive for a prize. Um, they didn't. Ha- it doesn't have to be wide release. Yeah. But even, you know, but whatever the, the conversation is, I, I don't feel like there was enough movie here to warrant a theatrical feature. This if not, I not paid, like a made-for-TV movie. If I would have paid $15 to see this in a theater, I'd have been like, eh, I don't think it was worth it. Yeah, I totally watched this at home. And like, and I try to see, even all the HBO Max stuff, I try to see in the theater. Yeah. This was going to be like my, my theater movie. This and this and, mm-hmm. and Venom were going to be my two theater movies after not seeing a movie in theaters for God knows how long. Mm-hmm. We, did, we didn't find one that was playing it that was convenient, so we ended up watching it. A couple friends at my place on HBO Max, and we were all kind of like, eh. Mm-hmm. How did this compare to you? Because you brought it up in our chat, so I'm just curious for you to talk about it on the podcast. What did you, how did it compare to Entourage? That's really apples and oranges because okay. they're so different. Entourage has a structure and a formula, mm-hmm. but it's a shitty structure and formula. And yeah. that movie, much like the series finale of that show, is basically everything that people who didn't like things about the show could could see in one aspect and be like, "This is why I fell out of love with the show and hated mm-hmm. it because." All this shit that, you know, you can't have these nice resolutions to so quick. Everything's wrapped up in a nice little bundle, and here you go. And just, meh. Robert, anything else before we go? Because I do have one more complaint, but I want you to make sure that you got everything you needed to say out. I assume your complaint is related to the music. It is (laughs) related to the music. Uh would have been one of my complaints, too. I don't think the score is especially inspired for this. Uh, Other than the Delphonics. Fair enough. I mean, my, I think my gripe in that respect is I just got so, Cruella burned me so badly on the, you know, let's take period music and use it to kind of enhance the, uh, to kind of enhance you know, the yeah. atmosphere by just beating you over the head with, I don't know, I, I don't even know the appropriate metaphor, like a baseball, but a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. Like, oh, you like That's this. a different show, Rob. That's, that's Dark Side of the Ring. We're going to do that later. Yeah, I imagine. Hey, let's light all of the ropes on fire and have everyone be in there at the same time. And, oh, God, the Sheik is poor back. So my, my big complaint about this, um, which you can fix yourself if you use our service that we're giving away for free here on the show, amazonmusic.com slash W2M Network, is unlike movies like Casino and some other ones where they really use the music to set the tone of the movie um, it was a, it, it, it added a lot of backdrop. Uh, it really fills the movie out. I don't like this was a clip. Like, come on, the music 
let me say this, Robert, without yeah, you yeah, jumping yeah. all over me. No, I, I've got something for Pat to talk to talk about this afterwards. So do your thing. The, the music of the '60s, you know, the revolution, the sexual revolution, the civil rights revolution, all of that. The music of the '60s is so rich, so historic, and so wonderful, and it's utterly absent in this movie. Like, how do you how do you set a movie in the tumultuous riots of Newark in the '60s, and you you know, and you don't feature any of the music of that time? So if you are watching this movie and you feel the need to hear those songs, you should use our uh, giveaway here. Get AmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network. Get AmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network for a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. Go ahead, Robert. Pat, if they're going to do this, if they wanted to include a black character for perspective, how did they not have Hesh in this? And like, Let's just do him screwing people over at his record label. <laughs> But, but you had so many opportunities because all they did was literally just rip these young black kids off and they got them making the co-writer on all the I records. Know, like I'm, I'm a co I, I am the executive producer of this record label, so I'm co-writer on all of this. Yay, royalty. Between that and always having black girlfriends. <laughs> yeah. All like, right. How do you not – how do you miss that chance, but instead we get this, you know – Even yeah. even other stuff, like they actually show Bamberger's department store in the show, which is a wink and a nod to – Tony, meaning one of Johnny's girlfriends years later, that Tony recognized, oh, you're the lady from Bamberger's from the furs department. And uh, like, little, like there's opportunities there for stuff that they just completely miss out on in the development of Tony. And they just, uh, again, a lot, of, a lot of bad narrative, but maybe the thing that bothered me most, kind of like Mark, is a little bit of the bait and switch on this one. Yeah, yeah, 100%. If you're going to sell this as the origin story for Tony Soprano, You've got to deliver on that. Oh, I mean, if you had just sold this as a Soprano story, which is what they subtitled this, then okay. But when all of your marketing is, you know, the, the who made Tony Soprano shtick, he's in you a better deliver. Fucking Dickie's not in the trailer. It's all Tony. It's all no. Tony. Yeah, this is a this is a horrible case of false advertising in that particular respect. Well, it paid for it too because here comes the money. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Despite being day and date on HBO Max and in theaters, the budget on this thing was fifty million, and at the time of recording, this thing has made a paltry seven point three million. Yeah, <laughs> this thing bombed hard. Um, Might as well put it in a bowling ball bag. <laughs> That's a reference I'm not getting. It is. Uh, yeah, this thing tanked, man. Um, we're going to talk more. And I, we're going to do a more in-depth money uh, discussion tomorrow when we talk about Venom on uh, Damn You Hollywood. But just, just to say that this, this had some fairly stiff competition for the weekend. And well, also, um, it did not hold up. I don't know. I don't know what like the main theater chains are by you guys, but two out of the three bigger ones for me, we have Nighthawk here in New York has a lot of uh, theaters, and we have Alamo Draft House. None of the Alamo Draft Houses were playing this movie, and none of the Nighthawk theaters were playing this movie. We have mostly AMC out here. Um, I, I didn't. Here's the thing. I didn't look. I knew just because of how I knew I was traveling. Um, the, over the weekend and i uh 
I knew I was taking my kids to go see Venom, so I couldn't see this in the theater even if I wanted to. But um, I will tell you, like, Venom made up a lot of screens. And then the other thing, which was also uh, PVOD, was the Adams Family, too. Yeah. So, like, they moved this around a bunch. This, this got bounced around. And, uh, I, again, I think they were taking a shot, but they needed to this needed to be early on in september doing this on, on october 1st was not a great idea i mean i know that they had malignant and cry macho within weeks of each other I in september go ahead i don't think this does well in theaters all anytime mm -hmm. because it's so synonymous with hbo right that people are just looking for it on hbo max yeah yeah because again not to go into a different conversation but we're in an economic recession. Not a lot of people are doing great. They're looking right. for alternatives to spending money. Hey, let's have movie night at the house and we can watch this that we have been conditioned to expect from HBO right. for years and years based on The Sopranos. But look at like, and again, I don't want to get too much on a tangent, but look at the comparison between Black Widow strictly from a financial standpoint. I don't want to get into the, we, we've covered it at length, the, the craft. But if you look at like Black Widow, which was day and date versus Shang-Chi, I mean... Shang-Chi was four weeks in the number one spot. Black Widow was like done in its second week. And while it's, you know, the number two domestic movie of the year worldwide, it's not doing, it's not doing great. It was, it, having it day and date on Disney plus killed it um, for whatever potential it was going to have. And the proof is in how Shang-Chi did. Shang-Chi was uh, exclusively theatrical and it ran away with the, with the theater box office. So, you know, does this do better if you don't have the option of being able to watch it for free, at the, you know, at home? Not much, but... But, but I also think the, the, the synonymous nature of this to HBO, that's not really the same as Marvel to Disney+. Plus. Mm -hmm. it, like, people know it's there. People are associated with it to a certain extent. Right. You think Sopranos, you think HBO. No, and I agree with you. I think yeah. they. Sh I think this should look. They released a movie that went straight to HBO Plus earlier this year. No sudden move, which Jesse and I reviewed, and no problem throwing that on there. And given the nature of this movie versus that one, I don't know why that went straight to HBO, but this one, like, no, this one we got to put in theaters. Like, I I, if I was going to do it, I would. I would have reversed them. Agreed. I think. I think they were hoping for some kind of award buzz, mm -hmm. uh, which it, it will not get. Nor do no. I think it should. But that, yeah, it, it was a bit of an odd choice. Um, yeah, financially, they're going to take a... This is not really the type of project that you release to make big financial returns on, but sure. you don't want to take this big of a bath either, you know? Well, it, it debuted at number four, which any, you know... This thing is not even... I would be surprised if this hits, like, 10 million. Yeah, no, I... Perspective, yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, this weekend is James Bond. The weekend after that is day, is is Halloween and the Last Duel, and then after that is Dune. And then Boy, after the that is, it's a good thing then, we're not reviewing the Last Duel. I would have to yell. You're not because <laughs> I'm reviewing I'm reviewing that with Ronnie, and I thought you were going to be there. No, that's right. You're not on that one. Never mind. Yeah, yeah but, I'm but reviewing again, that with too, Ronnie. Talking about theaters, like again, two mm -hmm. of the bigger theater chains here in the most densely populated city in the world. What didn't host it? Right. No, no. And I, I get what you're saying. It, it, this was an uh, this was really oddly distributed. But yeah. um, without I, I feel like this got to the point that we've seen uh, you know, Disney do with a lot of stuff where they try to sit on it. They try to sit on it, but they've still got to release stuff and there's still mm -hmm. the schedule to keep. And then eventually you just have to you have to throw it out there and see what happens. We can talk about this now because we're not going to because this because we won't be talking about Warner Brothers tomorrow. 
Did you happen to see the, um, I, I might have shared it either in the group chat or on Twitter or whatever, where the CEO of like Warner Brothers Pictures was like, yeah, if we could have done this all over again, we wouldn't have done it the way we did it. We would have had several converse. Apparently, they just woke up in a fever dream from a fever dream and were like everything to HBO Max and gave no more thought to it than that. And he was like, upon reflection 10 months later, maybe this was not a great idea. Maybe maybe we should have done this case by case, not you in tell the me. entire slate. Follow you know, the money, you tell me. You know, between that decision and then now the, uh, you know, the whatever the union is for all the like theatrical stagehands about mm-hmm. to go on oh, strike. Yeah. Dude, that's going to that's going to hurt Warner Brothers a lot. I mean, look, those got the stagehands go on strike. And for those of you who don't know, this is not just theater. This is not just like your local theater. These are the people that, you know, this is all of the riggers, the gaffers, the lighting. Like, these are the people that make movies. Right. And they're sick and tired of eight okay. hours. Of, of like Not eight, getting breaks, 12, hour, 12 to 16 hour shoots and no weekends. Yeah. Like, these people have had enough, and I don't blame them one iota. I mean, if you will we'll all recall the writer's strike and kind of the trickle-down effect that had when it went on. Mm-hmm. They had a bunch of stuff already in the can, and they could keep shooting. These guys walk off the lot tomorrow and everything stops. Yeah, I don't know how many people listening to this really know how like directors work, but directors and directors of photography are not the same people at all. You know, and when if you and if your director of photography walks off the shoot, your director may know how to operate the camera, he may not. It, you know, your 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 lighting guy walks off. The, your director might have an inkling of I want this lit differently, but they don't know the techniques to do it. Right. To say nothing of the people who actually have to go up and hang the lights and operate mm-hmm. this, and you know, the people who work the foley's and the all of it, like the, these your muscly individuals holding boom mics, dude, that's strenuous, man. That'll that'll tear your shoulders up if you're not used to it. My arm used to get tired in class just from raising my hand. Now, can you imagine, like, a, you know, a holding that's a not boom something mic? you should be saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, call on me already, you bitch. Um, I know the answer. Huh? Torn rotated cuff. <laughs> well, I wasn't doing a windmill, Pat. Oh, God, you blew your quad. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin Nash. Anyway, to, just to move this on. Um, so, yeah, it debuted in the number four spot, which is usually a death knell. If, it, if you're not in the top three in your opening weekend. Top two. You're, realistically, top two. You can get it. Depending on how this movie, busy this movie could have got, hang on, this movie could have got away with it because of the low budget. Mm-hmm. Like this movie could have done number three, hold number three in its second week, drop the like you could have carved that path out. You know, anything with a budget greater than this, you definitely want top it two. Lost the Shang Chi in its fifth week. Yeah, I mean th- that that to me says it all right there. Not, so, not Captain America. Not to Shang Chi. Shang Chi. Um, so yeah, um, some of this will be repeat tomorrow. Just bear with us. Venom was number one. Adam's family debuted at number two, despite being PVOD as well as in theaters. Cheng Chi dropped from one to three. Um, this debuted at number four. Dear Evan Hansen, speaking of things that cratered, fell from two to five. Free good. Guy, still in the top 10, fell, falls from three to six. Candyman, still in the top 10, fell from four to seven. Jungle Cruise, still in the top 10 from four. Fucking what? Good for, you know what? Good for that movie. Seriously. <laughs> yes, despite being day and date on Premier Access Disney Plus, fell from six to eight. I, 
I didn't know that Jungle Cruise is like notorious for telling bad jokes, like as you're actually on the Jungle oh, Cruise. Yeah. Really? Have oh, you yeah. Oh, yeah. Disney? You've I went before. once, but I didn't okay. go on the Jungle Cruise. Okay, for, fair enough. So, yeah. So I was in I was in downtown Disney at the time, and I, like mm-hmm. we were staying at one of the resorts. We were staying at Port Orleans Riverside. I've been there. It's great. There. Yeah, my wife and I spent like an anniversary there. I don't even think it's still there now, but mm-hmm. that shows how long ago I went. But my, my cousin and I are coming back from a nightclub they used to have there. Um, mm-hmm. In downtown Disney. Yes. And we missed like one, I guess the next to last shuttle we missed. And we had to get the last shuttle to, in order to get back there. would not have to pay 60 bucks for a taxi between two, you know, teenagers. So the, the guy, there's like some delay with the shuttles, whatever. And the guy, a guy's coming out from the, you know, the buses. And he's like, folks, I want to let y'all know that the shuttle is going to be on its way very soon. We appreciate your patience. In the interim, I'm going to just try to keep y'all spirits up. So why did the banana go out with the prune? Why? Because it couldn't find another date. And then some guy. Hang on. Hang on. And then some guy who was about six foot four, (laughs) maybe weighed like 160 pounds soaking wet with the whitest hair a completely white beard and red skin. Like this guy had been out in the sun way too long. He was, if he wasn't an albino, I'd have been shocked. But in the most Southern voice ever, as soon as that guy delivered the punchline, he goes, Hey, you must've been on that jungle cruise. (laughs) Nice. And that was what I found funny. Some Mm. hillbilly yelling that out (laughs) while we're just standing there to this. And the guy thinks he's killing because I'm laughing so hard. But no, I laughed at the idiot hillbilly who saw you on the Jungle Cruise. And I didn't understand that reference either at the time. And then I found out, oh, Jungle Cruise tells bad jokes. Oh, great. Yep. Whoever, whoever is host, whoever is the tour guide for it tells just the worst jokes. It's awesome. Um, all right. So some other really debuts is. this weekend. Chalmera Putt 3 debuted at number 9. The Jesus uh, Music debuted at number 10. That was from Lionsgate. That didn't even break a million. Speaking of not breaking a million. Probably didn't cost a million if it was Lionsgate either. Uh, this is an Probably. indie from an indie, indie studio, Neon. Neon and A24, if you're really looking, if you're like Robert and, you know, and the thought that Venom made money makes you want to cut your throat and your wrists. Um, <laughs> you really know, does. You, A24, Tune in tomorrow for my, li- for my live <laughs> on air attempt. Um, A24 and Neon are the two studios out there, you know, that aren't connected to a major studio that I'm aware of. That are out there putting like the indie films and maybe Zola is not your thing, but you know, I think a 24 was responsible for the green Knight and some other stuff that's been out there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take ownership of that if I were them. Um, The point being that neon is put out this movie Titan, I think it's pronounced and that's got some Oscar buzz. So it might be worth checking out if you got an indie theater near you. Here's, Uh, you know, I I don't, I want to talk, I want to have that, this discussion tomorrow as well, but I lament the death of the middle of the middle road for film. We'll talk about yeah, it tomorrow. Yeah, we, we have just hit this point where you're either going to get stuff like The Green Knight, which I'm not saying is terrible, mm-hmm. but if you only have stuff like that or stuff like Venom, like, what the hell are we doing? That's because the middle road ends up on streaming services now. I, I know, and we can talk about this a little bit more at length tomorrow, but, and, you know, and, it's, then, that, and then that's going to die I, in another five years. Like that, that, that's where this is going. And it's make, not good. They're make, they're they're making shit tons of movies out there, um, and and they're from they're all through the scale. But the stuff that gets the focus is either the the Oscar baity stuff or the stuff like Venom, you know, with with the broad appeal and the high ticket sales. The stuff I in the middle, broad appeal. 
the stuff in the middle doesn't a get talked about b is widely available but it's so widely available no one pays any attention to it it's like you know it, it's like just there you know you, you turn on your phone or your tablet or your television and it's right there and there's no thought about it there's no there's no action that has to take place um that's no quality control on that stuff and i think that's kind of what bugs me as well like I mean, come on, you, we, we reviewed, um, what was it? The old guard just by way of example, mm -hmm. like nobody oversaw that. I am. <laughs> I'm going to talk about this a little bit more at length tomorrow, but, um, real quick, the top 10, uh, the biggest movement is that Shang-Chi overtook Black Widow. Um, it still yeah, hasn't got, that's a movement. All right. There's there's been a lot of talk about what's going on with the uh, with the top movies of the year. The the problem is is that it's focused on domestic box office. So yeah, right now Shang Chi is the number one movie because America is the only country that matters, Mark. In, in uh, America, but if you look at the no, worldwide, it's a look. The focus on the domestic box office is a sad attempt by Disney to deflect attention from the fact that they can't beat Hi Mom at the worldwide box office. Well, you say it's <laughs> Disney, but when, you, when when this is all Forbes wants to talk about, you know, and I, when I follow, and like, who owns Forbes? Uh, not Disney. You um, say that. You say that. <laughs> okay. Like, don't make me get Jesse Ventura back over here. That's like when they said Dave Meltzer doesn't work for New Japan. Yeah. So anyway, um, so there has been no movement in the top. Mr. I, Mr. I rated. Mr. I rated Jumbo Saruta like 132nd best wrestler in 1991 behind everybody from New Japan who was all demonstrably worse. So, um, like, screw that all, guy. All the movement's been in the bottom five, and it's in this order uh, Shang Chi, Black Widow, Free Guy, A Quiet Place 2, something called the Battle of Shang Jin, and then Jesus Christ, Ella is still in the top 10. But like the, the bottom here, the don't floor, worry, Venom's got more weekends to go. The floor Venom is... will knock Cruella out of there. Yeah, it, it'll make more than two hundred and thirty-five million. The you know the problem is, and we can get into this a little bit more tomorrow at length, is how like crowded October is. Like Venom has no room to breathe. It's got it's you know, and so the big last thing, and then we'll move into the critical review. Um, the big headlines from this weekend weren't just that Venom had the highest domestic box office of anything all year. It was my uh, headline with ninety million? It was also Dune and No Time to Die. Are raking in the dough worldwide in all the yeah. markets that they're in right now, and so that those three movies got all the got all the Twitter buzz uh, as far as box office and whatnot. Let me tell you the other problem that Venom's going to have when it comes. It's not just that there's other stuff coming up. You're the one who shared this. Like the breakdown for Venom was what eighty percent male, something like and, that. Yeah, and it, sixty it, and sixty yeah, percent of that of is what over the age of thirty. Mm -hmm. No, I think it was the eighteen to thirty-four demographic, like the the heavy hitter for that. Yeah. No, no. no like, I, there were there were two things. It was more than half male, and a, and at least a quarter were, I think, like children, or something along those lines. It was it was a really funny statistic. It, it, it well, it's funny, but it's also dangerous because if you're a guy, you know, if you're me, and you see that movie once in theaters, and you got other stuff coming out, you ain't seeing that again. Like right. I. Venom has a good. I'm not calling Venom a bomb. Right? That that's stupid. I wish it did, but I live in reality. It didn't bomb, but I seriously wonder about its hold week to week, given the demographics that it appealed to and what's coming out. So I want to round this back real quick to you know the other issue. You know, we're, the whole this whole podcast is supposed to focus on the many saints of Newark. The money always goes in variety of directions. I'm not upset about that, but I will say this: like. 
yes, releasing it now, um, you know, because you want some Oscar buzz, you you know, you want this fresh in the minds of people for when it's competing, you know, at the, like the Golden Globes or the Oscars, you know, or whatever. I want to say this this made some film, um, uh, this made some of the festival festivals that are out there that are that are happening but sure, um the problem people, is because people care about film festivals well no i'm just talking about what's going on in the market right now here's the thing do you know what else is also happening this isn't even if you take out the big hitters dune no time to die halloween all of that it's all gone and you just focus on the oscar contenders this thing is still crowded out oh yeah so, right every single week be, be, before and after this they're all Oscar contenders. I mean, I'm just off the top of my head. There's Belfast that's coming out shortly. King Richard, which is day and date on HBO Max. Um, Why would you schedule Venom inside all this traffic when you know it's going to be your big money maker? Um, <laughs> the Eyes of Tammy Faye. That's got big uh, Oscar buzz. The House of Gucci from Ridley Scott. So, like, even if you know, even if you're just only paying attention to Oscar worthy stuff, this thing is going to get buried. The Many Saints of Newark. Like it was just a very odd choice to release it now. All right. Um, with that said, we'll talk more about the money tomorrow. Uh, in the meantime, in between time, here is the critical review. Are you ready? No, I said. The critical review is brought to you by Grammarly. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right. Let's share the screen. Here we go. All right. So the critics thought it was all right. You know, not too bad. 75. Audience seems to have hated it. Um, critical consensus says, even as its storytelling chafes at the edges of its cinematic constraints, the many saints of new approves the Sopranos allure is still powerful. And the audience says, the Sopranos fans will enjoy seeing younger versions of some of their favorite characters, but the story may confuse casual viewers while frustrating the faithful. Accurate. The audience summation is more accurate than the critics. Who'd have thought? What a shock. What a shock. Um, all right. James Bertinelli of Real Views, top critic. We read him all the time. Even the seasoned Soprano viewer will never feel completely sure of where the story is going. How is that a fresh review? That is a really odd choice to, uh, <laughs> like, that's an odd stinger to bring in for your fresh review if you give it a three out of four. Um, Andy Klein of Film Week. I liked it a lot. I might even, after a second viewing, say it's terrific. You That's might, tweet. but you you also might be an idiot. Oh, NPR. <laughs> that makes sense. That's yeah. a tweet, not this a review. God damn. Yeah, th that guy's the worst. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Polygon. Noel Murray. Polygon. Top critic. It's a polished, entertaining film, but a lot of its meaning derives from how much the audience cares about a handful of TV characters they may or may not already know. I feel like that's completely inaccurate. Yeah, that's really... 
I mean, for crying out loud, most of this movie is spent on characters that were, I, I wouldn't say created out of whole cloth, but that had so much room for them to create whatever the hell they wanted that your, your uh, affection and familiarity with the previous material is somewhat secondary. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Procopy of Third Coast Review. The film is as good as the episodes of the show. Oh, he can no. fuck right off. <laughs> I don't know which I don't know which coast is the third coast, but buddy, you're about to go get drowned in the breakers. What, what episodes of the show? The one where he has fever dreams and come on. I'd uh, even I'd even take the fever dream where he visualizes where he like Tony just hallucinates that Italian woman living next door for the whole episode. <laughs> Jack Hawkins of Hey you guys. You just had to do it. I did. Um, I did the, okay, now do the truffle shuffle. <laughs> it is an evocative time capsule. Anything for clicks. It is an evocative time capsule, but Many Saints does not depict the formative experiences of its ostensible subject, Tony Soprano. Oh, that's accurate. That's accurate. Uh, I suppose I might take issue with it being an evocative time capsule. Like, you don't really do a whole lot with your setting, but you uh, have the Newark riots, and the only thing you get out of that is, uh, oh, he's white. Let him through. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one from Pat's favorite periodical, Newsday. Rafer Guzman of uh, Newsday, top critic. Heaven. I'm in heaven. Don't do for, that. For Sopranos fans, though, this is re really less a prequel than a spinoff. I don't think Rafer knows what heaven is. I don't think he knows what the Sopranos fans are either. <laughs> like this idiot. Not with a name like Rafer. Um. Speaking of idiots, Carla Renata of the Curvy Film Critic, one of Robert's favorite. Curvy Film. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason why we read her a lot. Isn't how? Uh, which like fake relationship did you have spun up for me about this one? Uh, not her. I always have you paired up All with right. Lola Lambchop, but we haven't heard from Lola in a very long time. Maybe I finally um, drove her out of the profession, thank God. <laughs> if true, you can all thank me. <laughs> it paces like a slow-moving locomotive at first, but once it kicks in... Oh, I fucking hate you, Carla. <laughs> it, it, it paces like a slow-moving locomotive at first, but once it kicks in, this film rocks you to its core. Fans will be left yearning for more and more of those introduced for the first time will never forget the family David Chase immortalized. That felt like more of a Mad Lib than it did a review. That is a, that second sentence pains me. Like my English teacher, I don't think she's dead yet, but like she, she just felt someone roll, walk over her grave. Like that's terrible writing. That is a terribly constructed sentence. Speaking of Martin Scorsese, Ty Burr of Ty Burr's watch list, top critic. Self-employed loser. Thank you. It's a very smart piece of work that oddly owes as much to films of Martin Scorsese, old Uncle Marty, as to the world chase built over six appalling, satisfying seasons. Okay, go away. <laughs> no, just no. Oh my God. There's a look, there's a reason that guy has to work for himself. Yeah. Speaking of which, Dennis Schwartz of Dennis Schwartz Movie Reviews. Even if it's no Godfather, it's still entertaining. You, oh, thanks for the breakdown, asshole. You <laughs> useless sack of crap. Like, wow, it's not the Godfather. You know what else isn't the Godfather? Everything that isn't the Godfather is not the Godfather. By definition, you... Like Godfather Part 3. Yeah, you... Th this guy's an idiot. 
Yeah. No, it's not The Godfather. No, it's an action movie. Well, it's not Commando. No kidding. How does that help anything? Uh, I'm gonna and... start. I'm gonna start doing that as part of my review. Like, what's a really good example of this genre that I can? No, say, well, just it's wrong. Not everything. Act. Well, it's not The Godfather. I have done that. I have done that. Start every the... review with, "Well, it's not The Godfather." No, no. I, I actually did that to the annoyance of a handful of waiters at a restaurant once. Nice. So how was so how was your meal? Well, it's not the Godfather. Wow. Could you also send a plate of mashed potatoes to those fat girls over there being noisy? Speaking of fat girls being noisy, and Brody of what she said, mucho macho mayhem, betrayal, awakening, addiction to violence and crime, oh, and the simmering rise of the Black Power movement. Define this gritty, Please stop, profane Mark. take that isn't up to the series, but fills in the Demio family background. Does it fill in the background? No. no. I think she's mad because her background's not getting filled in by anybody. I agree. Her, she needs a visit in her back door. She is certainly not going to get hired by publishing these kinds of reviews anywhere. That's... Oh God, that that is such a bad. You can't even pretend that if you've seen this movie, that this movie does anything with the theoretical rise of black power, right? Like it's there. It's a cheap backdrop. It's associated with a character that could be completely removed from this hey, movie wait. and lose nothing. What does Pat Mullen say? Scroll back up. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, Pat Mullen of that shelf, spelled Ian, not Ian, by the way, not me. It's definitely not you, sir. Sopranos fans will find lots to love. There are name checks and references aplenty to favorite characters and a welcome revival of the what the sausage is the key to a perfect baked ziti debate. All right, you should never review anything ever again, and I demand you change your name. <laughs> yeah, that... No, guy. No. Like, like when, when the characters in the Sopranos sit around and talk about why about which sausage makes for the best baked ziti that works because it's juxtaposed with horrible violence and it serves to add texture to the overall series texture like i assume the yeah you're gonna judge me if i eat this dorito i just dropped on the ground no five second rule look look the texture that the, that those scenes add is much like the texture of paint chips that i assume your parents sprinkled on your food as a child you brain dead Really speaking, not right. Speaking of brain dead moots, Dana Barbudo of the Patriot Ledger. Alessandro Nivola has the gabagool and eats it too. The hell does that even mean? <laughs> no clue. How is this a sentence? <laughs> Pat, <laughs> can I get a Gumbada English translation here? No, you broke him. <laughs> like the blue screen just. <laughs> So, uh, I don't know if you guys know what Gabagool is, but Gabagool is spicy ham. So, he has the spicy ham and he eats it too. That's not a compliment. Ham is not a compliment for an actor. No. I don't think the idiot writing that knew this. So, let's play a game, Pat. Take a drink every time somebody references a Godfather in their professional review. Swank, no, sorry, Frank Switek of one guy's opinion, and ain't that the truth? Comes across as a pretty ordinary mob drama with a curiously flat protagonist, totally lacking the resonance of something like the Godfather saga, because it's the only I'll, mob movie he's ever seen. I'll drink, but he's not wrong. 
Again, the point there is not wrong, but for God's sake, expand your film repertoire, sir. Um, we'll do one of two more of these and we'll call okay, it no, a no, night. No. Look, if we want to get Pat happy drunk, just hit control F, search Godfather, and let's see how many pop up. <laughs> no, I won't be happy drunk, boys. <laughs> Liam Lacey of Original Sin, spelled with a C. <sighs> get it? C-I-N? Do you get it? Do you uh, get it? Sin? I get Sin? it. Sin? I get it. C-I-N? I just really don't want it. <laughs> You're going to get it right in the back door. Watchable, but unnecessary Sopranos prequel feels like a belated DVD box set bonus extra. You know, that's not the worst description (laughs) of this movie, believe it or not. Oh, hey, Pat, take a drink. Kyle Smith of National (laughs) Review. The Many Saints of Newark strikes me as the show did as Junior Varsity Scorsese. Not Godfather. Yeah, you said Godfather, not Marty. Uh, fair enough. Um, the suspense scenes aren't as suspenseful as the mob masters. The comic scenes aren't as funny. The strange rituals and signifiers aren't as rich and deep. Eh, whatever. Uh, okay, uh, hang on. I just very briefly to this gentleman. Part of the reason that uh, Scorsese's films get to feel that way is he gets to make up a bunch of crap. The Sopranos tried very, very hard to be more grounded in reality. And in reality, a lot of the stuff that gets romanticized by Scorsese and to a lesser extent in the Godfather films is not reality. If you read the book Wise Guy by by Nicholas Pileggi that was written with Henry Hill and you compare it to Goodfellas, very different movie and book. For sure. Um, Randy Myers of the San Jose Mercury News hasn't seen any movies this year. He's a top critic, by the way. One of the most entertaining films of 2021. I am desperately trying to get on the DVD box. What's yes. the what's, what's the bar though for 2021? Have we had any entertaining films? I mean, there's been a we've few. we've had significantly more entertaining films than this movie. You're right. We're going to talk about one of them tomorrow, Wednesday. You're on the Wednesday show, buddy. Wow. <laughs> uh, Ted, I still haven't seen that movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna try very hard not to shoot myself in the theater and protest. <laughs> Sir, how was your feature? Um, Tim Tara McNamara of Common Sense Media. Tank McNamara? Different McNamara, sir. In 2021, Robert, caring about irredeemable mafiosos is tiresome. Much like reading your reviews. You know what's tiresome? Silly cunts named Tara McNamara. <laughs> that is where we're gonna end it tonight. All right, folks, this has been fun. I'm glad we had Pat on. Pat, it's been a while since we've had you on Damn You Hollywood. I don't even remember the last Damn You Hollywood I was on, to be honest. But I'm in a hummus like days. I've been eating this stuff all night. It's great. I was gonna say, I feel like it was Days of Future Past, and that was a decade ago. Um, Let's yeah. not get into just how long we've been doing this, please. I feel old <laughs> enough as it is. All right, so Jesse got hornswoggled. I mean, grace uh, graciously volunteered to host a roundtable consisting of himself, Pat Mullen, Ronnie Adams, and Robert Winfrey, and they're going to talk Venom on Wednesday. Uh, Wait. Tomorrow... Why did... Okay. I don't recall being on that, but okay. I... I, you are. <laughs> You're on it, Rob. You're on. You were I, I don't know what I will contribute, but okay. <laughs> um, so there'll be a separate roundtable discussing Venom and body mass and weightlifting and whatever else Pat wants to talk about. 
Um, Jesse's just going to hand the mic to Pat, and Pat's going to take over. It's really going to just be a love letter to Tom Hardy. Fair enough. uh, Can we all just talk about how bad an idea it was to try and ask Alexander Hammerstone and Jacob Fatu to go 30 minutes? No. What a great idea. Save it for Wednesday. Um, They haven't even – look, they they haven't even aired that match yet. It's going to air on Thursday. I mean, I know who wins because they already taped it. I'm not going to spoil it out of respect for people who might care about uh, relatively small independent professional wrestling promotions. That would be me. Tuesday is the regular Damn You uh, yeah, Hollywood. Yeah, 30 minutes, those two. Enjoy that. <laughs> is the regular Damn You Hollywood review of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and myself, Carnage, and Venom superfan Jason Teasley, who this is going to be less a review and more of a therapy session for him. Um, Robert will be there, probably bleeding from the jugular. And Alexis Haina, too. So that'll be uh, tomorrow night. I uh, promise that if I decide that it's time to just be done with this mortal coil, I will walk (laughs) off camera. You will have to hear it because I have these lovely wireless headphones. Are are you suggesting that people should go to Patreon for it? (laughs) No. (laughs) Do we have a Patreon? I still technically have one. Yeah, like technically, yes, but we don't pimp it here because we... At this point, Mark would feel bad taking anything from anyone because it's not set up properly. All right, let's, let's shift over to OnlyFans. I, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> whatever gets whatever gets the match in the ring. Anyway, so uh, Venom Roundtable on Wednesday. Uh, there will be um, a ring. <laughs> we got OnlyFans. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> um, Thursday is our re-airing of Spectre, um, and then Friday, sa- Friday and Saturday, we're re-airing our alternative commentaries for Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury one and two. Uh, additionally. I am uploading all of our old boxing commentary. So there's a bunch of like Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury fights that we covered and Canelo who has a fight November 6th. All of those will be up on W2M. um, Some of which weren't even on this feed ever. Uh, They're from back when we had our own feed uh, a couple of years ago. So back when Canelo was uh, winning decisions that he still didn't deserve. Yeah. One of those is the triple G2 fight that we covered. In any case, point being, there's a lot of boxing commentary being uploaded over this next week. And then myself and Robert, as soon as the UFC's done with their show Saturday night, Robert and I will be uh, doing commentary for Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury 3. Hey, Pat, now that I have you cornered, are you going to watch the Canelo um, Caleb Plant fight? I might. Not sure. It's not going to be very competitive. So, you know. Right. But Robert's busy with UFC coverage that night. So I, I, I need someone. Oh, you want somebody to do co- to do uh, commentary of some kind? Oh, I'm not that guy. <laughs> Come on, look, that w- that, for that that would be three and a half rounds of Pat talking about uh, plants and cr- impressive footwork. <laughs> then y'all laugh about the scorecards that have already been turned in. Two rounds later, Canelo finally stops it. So that, folks, is what we've got going on. Check out Robert's two part series on James Bond villains that had Pat Mullen on it. Um, his Everyone Loves a Bad Guy for the Sopranos. That had Pat Mullen on it, and our long road to ruin. Uh, that this is the busiest week of podcasting I've had in years. Yeah, really. Um, uh, where we did the first three Daniel Daniel Craig James Bond movies, which Robert, <laughs> I listened to that back today. Robert apparently could not stand to just be in the audience for that one. Had to come on and talk about the realities of Texas Hangem Polker. So Texas hold them hold them Texas Hangem hold them hang high. Different card games. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the poker scene in Casino Royale is just... We know. We heard it. Not All good right. Um, Pat will be back later on in the month, other than what I just said, for uh, 
the next mania of wrestlemania we're doing eight and nine <laughs> the beginning of the year <laughs> <laughs> um and then we are uh getting you into scared the my cat we're getting into the fights now on the four kings of boxing i think we're doing leonard duran uh one and two first yes all right robert you're up don't well, repeat what i just said all right when we're done with this, I'm going to have to go over and write up my review for this week's AEW's Dark Elevation event. Uh, Wednesday, MLW's Fusion Alpha event, which I'm also covering. Those are in the wrestling zone of 411mania.com. Friday, I cover WWE SmackDown, though I am this close. I noticed but, you didn't have to cover Fatu versus Hammerstone on Thursday. I don't usually work Thursdays, and I don't have Vice TV. So I don't know what depths of the internet I would have to go to to try and find that. They do upload it to YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. It de it depends. This is their first event that they're doing on Vice, so I don't know how I don't know if that will be if they're going to put it up later as opposed to like simulcast or anything. So I have to wait and see on that. But uh, again, I was excited until I heard 30 minutes because I just watched Hammerstone work Lawler for about 15, and the last 10 of that he's pretty blown up. Yeah, still looks fantastic though. <laughs> Oh, great body. Tremendous body. Uh, I, I'm very close to giving up SmackDown. You see, they brought Riddick Moss in to be King Corbin's flunky. And Mad Cap Moss. Now Rob. Mad Cap Moss. Hijinks ensue with Happy and Mad Cap. And they just drafted Charlotte Flair over to SmackDown. And you lost Becky to Raw. I... I don't know how SmackDown as a show is going to creatively survive having to book both Roman and Charlotte on the same show. Roman's at least a good enough wrestler and character actor to make it interesting when he get when he gets to be the king of the world. Charlotte is the worst. Like, just the dirt worst professional wrestling character on SmackDown. That includes Happy Corbin, who they also couldn't get rid of because screw Happy me. Happy Corbin is a great character. Yeah, he was better when he was Cameron Grimes. Da, 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 da. So I do that, and then this Saturday we'll be covering the UFC event for as long as it goes. That's not a great event, uh, but I will be covering it. And then, as Mark mentioned, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, assuming no monkey wrench gets thrown into that in the next handful of days. I think Mackenzie Dern beats both of them. Well, she'd, she'd probably beat... Deontay Wilder, let's not kid ourselves. Fury, no. <laughs> like Tyson Fury, I mean, gosh, she did beat Gabby Garcia, so she's used to dealing with that kind of size disparity. But yeah. even, but you know, Gabby's a large woman and is large is a large person. Although Fury's huge. Fury's accent is real and Mackenzie Dern's is not. Eh, be nice to poor Mackenzie Dern. She grew up half here and half in Brazil. It's a wonder she's intelligible at all. And by half we mean like six months in Brazil. Are we done uh, yet? The perpetual changing nature of accents is actually a somewhat interesting field of study. Uh, last the rain thing, in Spain stays mainly on the plane. Uh, I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast on Sundays. This last week is a review of this last event, which, yeah, it happened. And then a preview of this upcoming event, which is, yeah, it happened. And then this coming week will be a review of that event and a preview of... Another so, event that I I believe this one's headline isn't this one headlined by Holly Holm and Virna Jandiroba? Sure. No, sorry, Holm and Norma Dumont. All right. 
Co-main event, Andre Arlovsky and Carlos Felipe. Okay. Yeah, I got nothing, okay? I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not here to sell you on this crap. I just have to talk about it on occasion. <laughs> and I will on Sunday. So if you're interested in that, please check out the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. I would appreciate it a lot. Tune in tomorrow for my uh, my last podcast. I'm, I'm walking off. I'm, I'm going to walk off the set, I'm pretty sure. Just we'll be done. Terrific. That's how this is going to end one day. I'm just going to look into this camera, go, I'm out, and walk. Can <laughs> you please wait till house. at least one of my children is able to replace you? That's all no. I'm holding out for. No. Look, you, you want to br- you want to bring your daughter on or your son on and try to get them to do what I do right now, you would have to make them do it right now. Oh, God damn it. All right, folks. That's here, here, all. Here's the, here, you can do sight reading. Here's the Wikipedia entry. Read the plot. <laughs> All right, folks, that's it. That's all for Robert. Thanks. He's driving. This has been Damn You Hollywood for Baron Von Awesome. For for Robert, who's walking into the woods to live deliberately. I'm Mark Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.